what do you think the church should do about injustice within the church? What we're doing right now, what are we doing? We're talking about it. Because when we talk about something, when we invoke conversation, it invokes education, right? Because of the fact we're talking about this now, it brings awareness to problems that you might not even know. Problems that have been swept under the rug for years, right? Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Savvy Sit Down. I'm Jed Frias, and our Bible uh, verse for today is taken from Luke 10, verse 33 to 35, and I'll be reading from the um, English Standard Version. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, poured on, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. My guest for today is Ryan Jarvis. Hello. Ryan received his bat sorry, his master's in business from Andrews University. He is the former youth choir and youth leader of Bramley Filipino Seventh-day Adventist Church. When he attended Andrews University, he was a part of student government. He was a student chaplain, um, music director a worship leader, and he is also a previous interviewee on Sevi Sit Down. You can find that on episode nine, where we talk a lot about music. And he also released a new single <laughs> under the artist name Sarangelo, and the single is called Be Where You Are. We will link to it down below. But uh, welcome, Ryan, and uh, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure. <laughs> So yeah, I just want to start off by plugging in our previous interview, uh, episode nine, where we talk about a lot about music and uh, the role of music in the church, uh, hymns versus contemporary music, should drums be involved in church and all that good stuff. But uh, in this interview, we're going to shift the focus and talk more about uh, racial issues. Mm. Um it won't be specific towards the George Floyd incident, but we will talk about that. Mm -hmm. For more about uh, racial issues, uh, I did an episode with uh, the always charismatic Timothy Fagbenro, and that was episode, um, I believe 15, two episodes ago. And this episode will be divided into two parts. The first part is more like the traditional podcast interview and the second part is kind of going to be more like a Q&A slash light debate regarding common questions and these questions will be about uh, yeah common questions around racial issues but um, before we actually get into that uh, Ryan what's up how have you been doing during quarantine <laughs> honestly bro it's it's been a an interesting experience it's been an interesting experience um, a little tough because of the fact that um, as an only child, 
it's nice to be able to go out and um, see your friends, et cetera, and hang out with them, but also being conscious that um, the isolation is it's not for anyone's torture, but for your friend's um, protection, especially uh, losing a couple people during the past few months. It has been very, very hard, um, but um, it, you get through with it um, very slowly but surely. Um, so I've just been kind of chilling. Um, I was able to do some music, like you said, um, so I had a little bit more free time because of quarantine. So I did release a single. That was that was the a cool part, something I've wanted to do for a while. And but right now we're slowly going back to normal, getting into bubbles now, and just safely uh, social distancing for our own and for more importantly everyone else's protection. Yeah, as uh, the Ontario government continues to open up uh, mm. the province, hopefully cases remain low and. Uh, all the talk about this second wave doesn't actually happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, just we gotta be sure to uh, to be vigilant to definitely um, prevent or at least uh, slow down the cases. Uh, just because if it acts like the flu, unfortunately there will probably be a second wave. But um, we can we can do our part to make sure that uh, it's lessened. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, let's get into this uh, this topic. Uh, let's start with the aftermath of, regarding the George Floyd incident. Okay. Um, what are some of the George Floyd incident aftermath reactions that you've seen in your church? So due to the fact that we've been socially distant for a while, it was very, very difficult to kind of gather conversation because normally it's something that we talk about at the potluck table after Sabbath. But because we are worshiping from our homes over Zoom, um, many of the responses I've seen were online. Primarily, one I'm really, really proud of is the week after the incident, my pastor, Pastor Jess, actually had um, a sermon on it, right? And he talked about the importance of treating other human beings kindly and correctly and the fact that we're all human, so um, we should not have any racial biases due to uh, skin color, which was really cool because um, a lot of the time uh, Filipinos tend to be a little bit more silent, but um, Pastor Jess has always been um, up to date with the gospel and very woke of a pastor. Him and his daughter are very, very um, forced social justice, which I think is cool. So that kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, it was very, 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 very quick in good response. And after the sermon, we kind of have this, hello, how's everyone doing kind of thing between all the members that are in the Zoom chat. So we'll all say hi and just wave to everybody. And it's kind of cool because um, people like the Bangalore family, I'm not sure if you know them, were expressing their, um, their support for, for the black community during this time. So it's really cool to see how people in my own church um, are becoming a little bit more outspoken to denounce racial injustice and stuff like that. Of course, because of the society that we grew up, grew up in, um, people are still processing it. So not every single person um, is as vocally outspoken. And some people are, are just naturally um, timid people. But even actually, a lot of people who are, are timid were quite frustrated. And it was cool to see them supporting the Black community during this time. I will say, it was very, very surprising in a good way 
the support that I've seen from my church. I've seen many youth post about um, their opinions and their support for the black community during that time and this time. Um, some people are still processing it naturally due to their, to their age or due to the fact that it's not something that they've been submerged in. So 2020 has, has definitely been a radical shift in, um, in perspective health-wise and, and racial and racially. So um, yeah, a lot of um, developing um, emotions, but mostly positive. Yeah, I would echo what you uh, said about your church. The same's pretty similar with uh, my church. Um, yeah, so it's good. Uh, it's good to have these discussions. Um, so for those who don't know, Ryan is half black and half Filipino. So what I want to ask you now is what are some of the reactions you've seen in the black community and then follow mm. that up with what are some of the reactions you've seen in the Filipino community? Cause you're not because you're black and Filipino that you speak on behalf of them, but you're involved in both communities. Yeah. Um, if I had one word to describe the feelings of uh, the black community, I would succinctly say tired. It's really tiring, right? Um, just two weeks ago, Ahmad Arbery, right? The event actually happened in January, February, but it just came to light like a couple weeks before the George Floyd in incident. So people are still extremely triggered and it's just a collection of built up emotion, built up tiredness that stems uh, earlier than even Trayvon Martin years ago. Um, but it's just extremely exhausting to always have to see people of your own skin color, people of your, your family just always being hunted down, racially discriminated for the color of their skin. And it is something that other minorities and definitely uh, white people will never have to, have to go through. Um, even myself, um, I, I do have privilege to the fact that I don't look as black as um, other people, right? So it's, I don't have to be out at a certain time and come back at a certain time. Uh, and I'm, I'm not warned. Like I have friends that are warned saying, Hey, please be home by this time because of the fact that, um, it, it's a, it's not the right time to be out just due to the color of their skin. Right. I don't go through that. And it's just, and it's an exhausting thing to always have to, to, to train your children to be extra vigilant in a country where they shouldn't have to be because, we should all be treated equally, but they're not. So it's just, it's extremely exhausting, but uh, despite the exhaustion, there's been a lot of good response to it. And people are, because they're tired, uh, people are responding, right? Um, many artists are uh, using art as a form to educate. Um, I've seen lots of paintings on Instagram, um, that are attached to um, 
paragraphs as to how people feel. Uh, a lot of people have been joining marches and rallies against racial injustice, against um, um, prejudice over the past couple months, right? People are, are tired and because of their tiredness, they are fueled with the energy to fight for injustice, right? Because they don't, they don't want to see this anymore, right? It's, it's, it's happened too long. It's, um, it's been too prevalent in society today, despite the fact that although, yes, uh, the civil rights movement ended discrimination years ago, it's, it, it really hasn't, right? Because it is a reality that they live every single day and it's just, they're tired of it, tired of it. Um, the Filipino Asian community has um, a surprising and cool response to it. I feel like majority of the Asians in the circle that I follow and what I've been seeing on the internet is they have noticed how passive our community has been um, and how we've been taught to be silent for these issues. And I think although racial injustice has not been, has, sorry, has been an issue for years, I feel like they are seeing the tip of the iceberg. It's becoming more relevant in their faces and they have decided that enough is enough and it's time to speak up against the matter, right? So I think it's really cool. I've seen so many um, Asians denouncing white supremacy and invoking and encouraging the message of Black Lives Matter. And it's really, really cool to see that um, Asians, although we can be a little bit more on the neutral side between the fight between black and white, it's cool to see them standing up, if that makes sense, standing up for what's going on right now and saying, hey, even though I don't have the negative effects of this, I'm going to put myself out there and say, hey, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Um, and it's really cool to see the Filipino community, the Asian community starting to become more vocal about it, especially a lot of people, like I said, who I've known to be very passive over the years have been extremely, very, extremely upset, extremely vocal about this situation. And they are educating other people in their circle about what's going on and why, why this is wrong. Yeah, that's good. Uh, we should all be fighting for justice, even mm -hmm. if uh, we're not the ones personally affected. That's, that's the Christ method, I would say. I agree. We're doing things. I definitely agree. So as uh, we are recording this interview, it wasn't just the other day where there was new released body cam footage okay. of the of one of the police officers of the incident leading up to George Floyd's death. You and I have both had the opportunity to check it out. We recommend that uh, if you haven't had that opportunity, listeners, to check out that video. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, Ryan, after watching that video, that footage, does any does your opinion change on anything? My opinion doesn't. It doesn't really change. One thing that I feel like most, if you do have the chance to watch it, which I do encourage you to do, um, is I want you to take a look at the first four minutes of the video. There is legitimate fear. There's fear in his eyes, in his voice. You can hear it, you can see it. And it's, it's scary because if you have a gun pulled out on you, you can't, as a police officer, just expect people not to be scared. Especially when you see countless people who share the same skin complexion of, complexion of you die in cold blood just due to the color of your skin. Oh, that's terrifying. So I have friends who are completely, completely terrified if they see lights pull up behind them because they don't know if they're going to make it out of that situation. So that's the very first thing that um, that I realized when watching the video. And it was just very, very disheartening because that's not the fear that you should be possessing, especially as a equal man here in America, equal human being here in America. Um, as you look on towards the video, you'll see um, him starting to struggle, right? And that I feel like has been a constant pushback from people on the other side saying, oh, if he didn't struggle, he wouldn't have died. And I think that's one incorrect because as a police officer, you should treat people with respect regardless because you are there to serve and protect. That is the, the, um, the slogan, if I may, of the American um, police departments, right? So um, they should be trained to handle those situations. And regardless of what happened, there is still absolutely no need for someone's knee to be on someone's neck for that period of time. And it's, especially if you have other colleagues putting him down. So my, my, my opinion doesn't necessarily change at all. It is still a human rights issue and you should not treat anyone like that. I think it's unjust, inhumane, and um, I'm glad he's in prison because of that. Yeah, I also think it comes down to that. Like, it doesn't matter what the body cam footage showed. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the day, you can't rest your knee on someone's neck. Exactly. I think that's like the... It's the unjustifiable part of this whole thing. But I wanted to follow that up with how much of a role do you think the mainstream media plays towards um, increasing, decreasing racial tensions? Like what effect do you think media has on, um, yeah, on racial tensions? So one thing I will say is that... um, Racial tensions within communities are the same 
regardless of what the media shows, especially in places where um, there's predominantly white neighborhoods and predominantly black neighborhoods very close to each other. There's those racial tensions still exist regardless of what mainstream media shows. Um, I would be ignorant not to say that, of course, the media will always show what will bring the most viewers, what will bring the most amount of money for the network. That's unfortunately business. However, despite all the attention on the black community over the past few months, that is still an extremely small percentage of the abuse and the deaths that happen on a daily basis. So yes, the whole country, the whole world was completely outraged by the George Floyd incident. But what if I told you that that happened every day? Right? I feel like even now, due to the fact that the mainstream media has pushed and has shown us and revealed to us that one incident, it has even drowned out others, right? If you look at research and you see some other incidents, like there was a black man hanging from a tree in the 21st century. He was lynched. And that isn't as popular as the George Floyd story. It is something that black people have to live through every single day. And yes, it is outrageous and you are outraged by it, but it really only scratches the surface of what happens every single day and what you're feeling. Black people feel even more to a worse and more enraged degree just by living in that reality. So even now, as the media kind of shifts its focus back to COVID and to other things, black, the black community still deals with it. So that, those are my thoughts on, on that, especially on the media portraying what exactly is going on. Okay, let's uh, shift topics to kind of more um, of your personal experiences or uh, the experiences of those that you're close with. Uh, What are your experiences with racial issues that you've seen in your life? And let's start with um, as a, like, as a half black and half Filipino person. So I have been privileged of living in melting pots my whole entire life. Excuse me. And by that, I mean, I don't recall ever being in a bubble that is predominantly Caucasian or yeah, at at any point in my life for a very long period of time, maybe a day or two, but not for a long period of time. Um, I've lived in Toronto. I've spent long seasons in California. And due to that, and even Andrews University, yes, that is a very predominantly Caucasian community, but due to the fact that there are people from all over the world that come to that one place, I still consider that a bubble, right? So I've been privileged in being educated in um, the different cultures 
for many people, all right? And everyone in that bubble is very um, culturally aware, right? So due to that, I have not had direct um, racism towards me, right? Not directly. I've had a lot of um, colorblind comments, if you may, um, indirect stereotypes that can be considered prejudice um, thrown my way. Um, I've had comments like, oh, your hair is too, too curly as an Asian, right? Or your hair is, um, is puffy. Like, it's just like a lot of just negative comments towards personal traits that I have. Um, not intentionally mean, if that makes sense, but, but just, just out of ignorance, I would say. Um, well, also, I've also had comments on the color of my skin, um, especially in the Philippines, because um, they really um, value um, lighter complexions. So it's just a lot of comments like, oh, you're, you're going to be very dark, or you're very dark. And just a lot of um, indirect comments that supports um, whites um, or that glorify um, Western white culture, if that makes sense. Um, but um, I feel like since then, like people have become a little bit more educated, etc. But I haven't directly been told any racial slurs. Um, so that is my experience due to the fact that I've grown up in many melting pots. Um, if I did have any, any other racial comments towards me, I probably wasn't educated enough at the time to discern it, if that makes sense. So I probably just brushed it off, but nothing necessarily scars me, if that makes sense. Um, I think the closest thing to being scarred was uh, when someone told me that my hair should be straight because I'm Asian, right? I feel like that's the, the closest thing to being scarred, right? But um, nothing, nothing, nothing jarring to the point of um, denouncing my, my worth, if that makes sense, in the same way that a white individual denounces the worth of a black individual. Yeah, you have an interesting perspective on things because like you said, uh, uh, you're half black and half Filipino. And uh, I can attest that uh, the Filipino culture is very uh, pro lighter skin, pro, uh, pro white, uh, mm -hmm. a lot more, um, yeah, a lot more, not liking towards darker complexion yeah. so yeah you have an interesting perspective on those things because it you are half black and half filipino mm. but um what are your experiences with racial issues as you attended uh dominantly black high school um i feel like growing up i i didn't really have much negative experiences 
going to a black high school or a black um, elementary school. I always felt like I fit in. And um, between majority of the people, um, yes, colorism exists. And I did hear um, a lot of um, comments towards um, colorism growing up like light skin versus dark skin, um, which now I feel the people that made those comments are very educated. Um, but um, because of the fact that most of the people who are black, no one was really saying anything negative against each other for being black, if that makes sense. Um, because that was the community that we're in. Um, I am personally not aware of any um, extreme racist issues that happened at the school I went to. I'm, I'm sure there, it was present uh, due to the fact that um, we are all prejudiced to some degree. Um, but mostly it was colorism uh, growing up at in my black high school. Right? Did you... So yeah. Did you by any chance, was there, and like, I don't know who was in your class, but mm. uh, was there by any chance, like maybe a white student who was treated differently for being white? Like, did you realize anything like that or wasn't really an issue or, or maybe you didn't have any white classmates? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I feel like that... I've never, there were a couple Caucasian um, students there, and I don't think I could safely speak on their behalf, but I think growing up, I don't think I was really that educated in, in, in the, those discrepancies. Yeah. Because of the fact that we grew up in that, in that bubble, almost to say, that I feel like to some degree, growing up, I was a little colorblind, right? And it wasn't until, because um, I kind of just saw them all as my friends, right? Especially like when you're five years old, you don't realize the color of other people's skin until it's taught to you, until racism or prejudice is taught to you. You just see a playmate, right? And I feel like because of the fact that I grew up at Crawford, um, it took me a while to realize um, the differences and the beauty of different culture, right? Um, and it was huge, a huge um, awakening when I went to Andrews, for sure. Um, so I, I couldn't necessarily tell you because I don't think I was processing that at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it, might, it might be cool if I actually uh, caught up with a couple of, um, of my friends um, who, are, who are white there. But I just, I really, I don't think I could safely speak on their behalf because I, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Just talking about high school. I just want to like, if I were to talk about my own high school experience, I remember being like aware of racism when I was in elementary school, as much as like maybe an elementary student could be aware of it. But I'm like, like you, like you were saying, I was like, Oh, it doesn't make any sense. Like if it's a play, it's a play buddy it's a play buddy but mm -hmm. I, I remember like when i went to grade nine i just i realized like all the persians hung out together and all like the asians hung out together and all the white people and it was it just felt really different i went to a public school mm -hmm. so like i wonder it just 
it was like a big jump from grade eight to grade nine, just seeing how like, as you get older, you just begin to divide yourself more. It was, I don't know, maybe my experience is different from other people, but that was just an interesting observation that I've held throughout the years. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that if you were the minority in our school, I guess, which would be Caucasian, Filipino, um, or, or uh, uh, Hispanic, they would end up befriending um, black people, right? Because that was the majority there. So you end up being in classes with them. So it, um, I feel like there really wasn't um, so many, a big bulk of different cultures to, um, to cling to, if that makes sense. But, but yeah, it, it is true. Um, I feel like as human beings, we tend to like what's comfortable, right? And then, um, so we cling to that. Right. So I feel like the, the second majority group in my in my high school is Filipino. So I, I would lie to say that the Filipinos didn't all hang out together. They did. Um, but it's, it's just very interesting due to the fact that um, we like what's comfortable. Um, so it's 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 something that I'm still learning myself. Right. Um, I feel like even if you take a look in, in Filipino culture, I find that that um, there's almost this pride when it comes to to islands or to districts or to provinces. But when it dwindles down to just being Filipino, then they cling as a group of Filipinos. So I, it's, I feel like it's this weird aspect of human nature that I'm, I still haven't fully processed myself. But it's just like we we do like to cling to what's comfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. Um, how how about in your time living in the United States compared to Canada? Did you feel like uh, racial tensions were different between the countries? Yes, by by far. I had um quite quite an awakening going to, to Andrews. I'm gonna actually gonna combine um, my experience of living in America and living with Andrews into one because um, it's different. Because I lived in a predominantly white part of the United States, Southwest Michigan. Um, that was like mostly the leadership there. Um, but I also lived in a bubble because I lived in, an area where it was the most diverse school in the United States. But then if you go down to South uh, St. Joseph, Ben Harbor area, there's two communities that's um, a rich white neighborhood and a um, poverty stricken black neighborhood. So it was, I still felt like I was living in that bubble of, um, of being in a melting pot. Um, but I will say that one of the first things I noticed was that there are a lot of white people, Caucasian people that have never really interacted with minorities before. And 
and it really shows in their behavior and in in the way that they carry themselves um ignorance right and i've seen a lot of people respond to that ignorance very well and they choose to educate themselves saying oh wow i'm now living in this world where it's not just white people it's it's not just people that look like me and i have to learn right Can you give an example of like a comment or something um i i I don't want to put that on air, but um, I will. <laughs> I will, I will um, just for um, protection. But um, but it's it's cool. I've seen like people want to educate themselves. I've also seen um, people who choose not to educate themselves. My friend was called Ching Chong uh, mm. in 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 Saint Joseph, a predominantly white rich area. Um, yeah, so. It, definitely mixed and you can also feel the racial tension um to be higher not that it is um not saying that canada doesn't experience it but it's you can see how much more deeply rooted it is in america because it is basically from the start of america's existence that um racism has been born and bred throughout society. Um, yeah, so it's very, very, very difficult. I've seen a lot of people say that they don't care about um, um, the black community. And it's just, it's very, very disheartening, if that makes sense. And it's just, yeah, a lot of wild comments. We had, um, what really showed its colors was there was an app. I really, I think it's called Yik Yak during the first couple years of my, um, my schooling at Andrews, um, due to the fact that you remain anonymous uh, with your comments, you can really see how people felt. Um, so there are a lot of racial comments on that board and you can see that um, maybe not everyone around you likes you due to the color of your skin. Yeah. Yeah, just a side note, um, anonymity on the internet has really changed. Like, it's been a game changer. Like, the way that the things that people get away with saying just because they're anonymous behind a screen. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah, I remember that app. Oh, it eventually got yeah. banned because it was <laughs> being too, uh, too reckless. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're not willing to say it in front of someone's face, you probably shouldn't say it at all. Exactly, exactly. So let's uh, transition to talk a bit about racism in within Adventist history. Um, by no means would I say that I am an expert on this, or I would assume you wouldn't say the same thing. You'd say the same thing either. You're no expert. We were just doing some little bit of research on the uh, on the matter. Yeah. But um, based on your little bit of research, uh, what can you say about the history behind Black and White Adventists conferences? Okay, so I actually came, this came to light to me when I, my freshman year of Andrews, I had no idea that this existed because here in Canada, 
we have provincial, mostly provincial conferences. You might have a province or two stacked into one conference, but for the most part, every province kind of controls, has like a, a head office, right? So when I went to Andrews, um, I was asked to go to um, like a camp for the uh, Chicago, which is in the state of Illinois, um, their conference. And someone asked, uh, which, which conference? Is it the Lake Region or the Illinois conference? And then I was just a little confused. I'm like, what? Does the state have multiple conferences? And they said, yes. Um, man, throughout my, my education there, I, I slowly but surely learned that um, in a lot of states, there will be multiple conferences that oversee churches that are primarily of either um, Caucasian, a Caucasian community or a black community of believers. And what I found out listening to um, sermons of people that came there and uh, do my own research is that um, there were some racial issues in the SDA church. It's not as, as perfect as I was told, if that makes sense, uh, especially in the mid-1800s. So the mid-1800s is when Adventism formed, right? So Adventism is an American-bred religion, right? And it's something that um, God has helped bring the message of Adventism throughout the world, which is cool. But also that means that the people who started Adventism were American. And um, racism is something that has been ingrained into um, America from basically its beginning. So due to that, uh, when people brought their faith into the church, they also brought their prejudice into the church. And it became extremely, extremely dangerous and extremely, extremely hostile for the black community to worship and integrate with, the, with white believers. Ellen White was a huge, a huge um, um, proponent in trying to fight for racial justice. Um, however, she was a lone wolf in that. Uh, very, very little people, amount of people were willing to really hear what she had to say regarding that. Um, so she was pushing for integration. She was pushing for equality. And um, as a church earlier in the day, we were, were extremely stubborn. We weren't really having it. Um, many of our universities in the States um, barely integrated. There was segregation cafeterias and it just goes to show that our denomination was very far from perfect, even from the get-go. Um, at some point in time, for the safety of the black community, Ellen White instructed and suggested that they have their own places of worship, not to kick them out, but because they were so 
um, threatened by hostility and violence by white believers, that it wasn't safe for them. Um, that's that's a, even a quick synopsis of how Oakwood University started, right? It was mostly for the safety um, of black believers. And she basically said, this will have to be the way it has to be until God shows us a better way to do it because we're, we're not doing it. We're not doing it as a community and we are hurting people. And but they still need to know the gospel. So this is just a temporary solution. And despite that fact that it is supposed to be a temporary solution, it still exists today. Um, a lot of people say, oh, now that we are in the 21st century, we should just demolish it and put it all together. I am not one of those people. I, I find that it will be extremely difficult. It has to be done correctly and it has to be done um, right because the last thing that we want is there to be a power struggle again where the needs of the black community are not met within the Adventist church because they have to talk to an overseeing um, agent or someone in the conference who's higher up than them of white, of white um, skin complexion that doesn't understand the needs of the black community. So it, it's extremely difficult. And that's, that's how it is. And it started due to the fact that white believers did not want to share a house of worship with the black community. And it's, and it's a disgusting part of our heritage, but um, it, it shouldn't be swept under the rug. It, it should be brought to light and we could figure out how to learn from that. What are some other ways that you, like what are some other things you can point at um, where you can see racism or racial injustice within the Adventist church besides the whole division of conferences? Is there anything else you can point at? Yes. Um, huh. uh, working <laughs> at um, Andrews University, which technically isn't policed by a conference, technically, it's very, very difficult. I've, I've had a whole bunch of struggles where um, people, people on conference levels who I've actually never even met, like this has never even... They haven't even had, they didn't even come to like our school to say and explain why this, why they shouldn't do this, has decided that they want to control things. Um, uh, such as styles of music, use of instruments in the church. And something that's, I guess the most recent thing, which was really appalling to me is uh, there is um, a very generous family in the Bering Springs area the Howards and they built a beautiful auditorium and um, the black community worships in the seminary of our church and for years they are cramped absolutely cramped there and they were looking for the next best space to expand their ministry and they basically had a very long runaround uh, to get to where they are saying oh this family doesn't want um, this to be used on a normal basis and blah 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 but um, eventually uh, the Howards were talked to and they said, no, we want this place to always be full and to always be used. 
And it, incidences like that show, oh, and now the church is now in the big auditorium where they can finally accommodate um, the membership of, of people that worship in that community. And it just goes to show how like the preferences of individuals kind of stifle the worship and the spread of the gospel between people of other communities because of the fact that they don't approve of something. But it, in fact, when it's, it's not even their business, like if you don't want to go to that church, go to a different church, but don't be the person to stifle someone's worship. Um, yeah, I find that um, people of color are not um, amongst all ranks, um, uh, black, Asian, Hispanic, are not given the same platforms as um, white individuals when it comes to preaching um, and it comes to opportunity and stuff like that. Um, that's what I've seen in America mostly. Um, in Ontario, most of it is uh, comments towards um, the black community in terms of their style of worship. Um, and it's, it's disgusting, especially, um, unfortunately from the Filipino community, we are known to, um, to have issues and to have um, comments towards um, our, what we call itim people, which means black people, right? And it's just because of the fact that, that the Filipino community is not used to how they act, they make a lot of side comments, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Um, I remember when I was youth leader once, um, I had a suggestion box for AY. And um, one, I had a concert actually, and I, um, I invited some people, um, some of my friends who are black to sing. And I remember picking out the comment box and seeing someone write, um, this particular performance was too black for our church. And I remember reading that and being extremely frustrated because they were denouncing how someone worshiped. And it was completely fueled by um, prejudice. And uh, that's something I'll never forget because growing up, I always thought that my church was you know, perfect. But then you come to a realization as you grow that um, a lot of human nature is um, present in every individual that you come in contact with. And a lot of prejudice lives in the hearts of um, men, even myself. And it's just, it was a big uh, rude awakening, I would say. Um, so those are some of the things that I've seen in America and here in Ontario, if that makes sense. Yeah, Ryan, thanks for sharing um, those experiences and teaching us a little bit about some history, some basic uh, history. <laughs> uh, but let's uh, try and talk about some solutions or hypothetical solutions okay. or, um, yeah, some ideas to kind of remedy this. So what, are, what do you think the church should do about injustice within the church? what we're doing right now, what are we doing? We're talking about it. Because when we talk about something, when we invoke conversation, it invokes education, right? 
because of the fact we're talking about this now, it brings awareness to problems that you might not even know. Problems that have been swept under the rug for years, right? And when you talk about it, it allows other people to ask questions. And when people ask questions, they can receive answers, right? And it starts to breed a generation, uh, kids after us, who are aware because their parents could teach them what they ask questions about, right? By giving people opportunity to talk about their feelings and to talk about the way that they've been treated and mistreated growing up here in the Adventist church, it allows us to do something and fix it. Um, I think one thing that we can definitely do is give the black community, give um, non-Asian people of color a platform to speak in our churches. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of testimony. So I feel like we should be continuously testifying of our experience. That's how we relate to one another. That's how we can grow with one another, right? If we continue to block that out, then we continue to live the way that we've been living. We continue to live in the prejudice that we've been grown into. But when we start to ask questions and to talk about things that we're not accustomed to. It brings to light how people feel and it allows us to empathize with people. We'll never be able to fully understand, but we can start to empathize with people and maybe see what we're doing wrong in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I love the way you put that. Okay, let's talk a bit more generally. What should the church do about injustice in general? So beyond the four walls of the church. Beyond the four walls of the church? Okay. So um, I feel like one, one thing that we're really, really missing um, is outreach, right? at least in the Western side of the world. We've been so comfortable with um, the community that we've built as a church. We're forgetting the expansion part. So in times like this, I believe that we need to create platforms to be at the front lines of social justice. Um, Toronto West did a great thing a couple of months back and they had a march at their church. Um, and that speaks volume, right? I've seen pictures on Instagram of Adventists for social justice, right? And by doing that, we really set ourselves up for other communities to see that we care, right? we set ourselves up to show that we will not stand for injustice as a church. We will not stand for racism as a church because of the fact that we are historically rooted in racism. That's how we, as a church started. Um, 
and it allows us to make people feel loved outside of the four walls of our church. Because when people connect and see, hey, this person, this Adventist cares about us, it makes them open to see like what we're all about. And I just think it's not even an Adventist thing to do. It's, it's a human thing to do. We should be caring. We should be caring for each other. So um, not all of us can go to that length, right? But I think as individuals, when we leave the church, the very, the very least that we should be doing is having a conversation, right? Whether that would be with our children, whether that would be with our friends, right? Or whether that would be standing up for a coworker, right? We need to take the values of Christianity and social justice and bring that into the workplace, into the homes, right? That I think is the very least we can do, right? Once we leave the four walls of the church.